This week on The Zone of Truth, Griff and I welcome on our good friends from the Strange Table Fellows Network to chat about their new show, Under the Table, and discuss all sorts of other cool STF stuff. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio with your jam and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in The Zone of Truth. We're back. Yeah, we're back, baby. And we got guests today. Yes, we got some cool guests. And uh, I don't know if you know this. This was recently brought to my attention, Griff. We're recording episode 117 of this show. Huge number. But it was exactly 100 episodes ago, Zot episode 17, that we had Adam and Emily on for the first time. Wow. Yeah. That's I swear to God. Yes. And I looked this up. (laughs) Confirmed exactly <laughs> 100 episodes ago. That's 100 episode anniversary. Every yeah. 100 episodes, you got to get STF. <laughs> <laughs> so in two more years, we'll be reaching out. Yeah, okay, sounds good. I'll put it on my calendar because you know how difficult it is. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, we got we got some a very exciting guests here. I'm going to do a little intro because I can't keep them waiting. We got veterans of this show and founding members of the Strange Table Fellows Network. Adam and Heath have been telling stories from all across the packed worlds for the last several years, but recently have started a new show along castmates John, Emily, and Dustin to bring their unique charm to the impossible lands. In Paizo's Outlaws of Elkinstar AP, welcome to the show, Adam and Heath. Hello. Welcome, welcome. We're glad to have you guys on here. Excited to talk a little bit of two E. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We weren't talking two E a hundred episodes ago. No, we weren't. Well, you guys weren't even. No, we weren't. <laughs> either. Nobody was. Not a thing. <laughs> well, how have you all been? It's been a minute since Origins. Yeah, I'm still recovering from Origins. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long recovery. No, uh, yeah, there's a Heath and Adam shaped hole in my liver. Yeah, uh-huh. God. Yeah, that sounds about right. Yeah, we, we did a liver swap, and it wasn't good for either of us. <laughs> Somehow we both traded down. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's just jaundice with extra steps. Yeah. Uh, doing good. You know, trying to not melt. We don't have to get into that too much, but, it you know, that's priority number one for the summer mm-hmm. is to try to not melt. I've actually been off a little bit on band work, so really just been kind of chilling. Really? Because I was recently listening to an episode of STF where you talked about joining some more bands. So that's a surprise. Well, to that's hear. what happens is like when I don't have gigs, I'm like, oh, I could join another band. I'm not playing. I got all the time <laughs> in the world. And then all of a sudden all the gigs come again and it's like, oh, oops. Uh, I overcommitted yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's do a quick round. Is anybody uh, having an alcoholic beverage today? I myself am drinking a beer from the land of sky blue waters. You know it. You love it. It's a hams. Nice. Uh, I'll kick it to Griff real quick. I've got a Astra Baja Blast off. Mm. The Baja Blast seltzer. Hell yeah. What's my boy Heath doing down there? I'm doing the same thing I'm almost always doing. I'm drinking a bush. <laughs> oh, hell yeah, brother. Nice tall boy, too, by the way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And of course, Adam, bring it home. What you got? I'm drinking a gin and beach plum liqueur. Ooh, sounds very tasty. Well, as is tradition, 
On this show, we like to open it up a little casually, talking about what you all been into lately. So I think let's just go same order here. Let's run it down. I started a, a new show recently, and it's one that I'm not going to talk about too much because just inherently, it's a very strange show. And it's just kind of one of those that you watch. And as you find out what the show actually is about, it's kind of a surprise. So I'm watching an anime right now, I'm watching a, a show called The Melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya. And I am doing it in broadcast order, which is notable because it was deliberately broadcast out of order. The first episode of the show is like episode 24 or something. Mm. And then you go back to episode two, I think, and then it's all over the place. But that's very deliberate. And then when you find out kind of why that's the case and what it's about, it's like, oh, that's that's a, a cool artistic way of doing it. It is kind of fun because you're watching things that take place after things you're about to see be so like the natural climax of the show isn't the finale the climax is kind of in the middle of the season and then it's like they're referencing the finale which is in the middle of the season and so it's it is pretty cool it's a really good show i don't want to speak too much about it because just inherently that would ruin it but what i will say is last night griff and i went to an event that that <laughs> griff you found out about it was some sort of like anime night at a club we were just talking with the scf boys about this before uh well, we the, went live because it's so wild the theme was filler beach episode uh, <laughs> <laughs> so you know show up in your in your beach anime cosplay mm-hmm. um did y'all did you wear one of your pokemon shirts oh I, I wore one of the Pokemon shirts. Yeah, I, I was unbuttoned about down to the belly button. My boy. By the time the second song played, I had unbuttoned yeah. most of the shirt. And Haley went with Luffy's like Dress Rosa uh, Hawaiian shirt. Steve was wearing the the uh, Wings of Freedom and yeah, uh, brother and a Hawaiian shirt. So we weren't fully cosplayed, but we were animated up. We were representing, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. It was just a wild time. The band was so good. And the reason I bring this up is because they, uh, well, first of all, just because I want to brag that we did something fun last night. Okay. But but they also covered a song from this show. And it's not the intro song. It's not the outro song. They covered just like a random song that the people in the show like played a concert and like they just ran the full fucking song for in this episode and so they covered it and then played they had a big projector and they played like the anime band playing the song while the real people played the song and the girl singing was like in cosplay of Haruhi it was really awesome fucking awesome event it was so much fun god that the girl lead singer in that band was so fucking dedicated she had like six costume changes it was insane like she she had she had six cosplays lined up and she was they were kind of like her and the and the male lead singer were like alternating flip flop yeah mm-hmm. alternating and and she would just like go back behind stage and change like for the next yep. song and come back out it was kind of awesome it was cool well uh griff what you been up to man so i've been playing this new you know everybody that knows me knows that i'm super into monster caching games and trying things that are outside of the realm of pokemon so I've been playing a game called Cassette Beasts, and it is one of the most creative iterations on the monster taming genre I have come across so far. Your monsters are like a playlist, and uh, okay. and like you put different cassettes in that represent these monsters, and they like instead of like catching a monster, you transform into the monster when you're listening to the song. 
Well, you can play the entire game co-op with a buddy, but you have you have like a follower if you're playing single player that like that also has a monster. So it's always like 2v2. And there's about five more types than there are in Pokemon. They all do like super creative things instead of just like something being super effective like it is in Pokemon. Like if you attack with an electric type and you attack like a metal or a water type in the game, they get like a static condition. So like they become like charged. And so they take extra electricity damage and they continually take it. And then like, if you attack them again, they're statically charged. So it hurts oh, you. Okay. Ooh, you like physically attack yeah. them. Um, so it, it, there's very cool mechanics like that, you know, like if you attack with ice against water, it slows them down because they start to freeze. If you attack like the ground type with electricity or fire, it becomes glass type. It's like oh, really, cool. really, really interesting. And kind of reminds me of like Divinity yeah. 2, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's very much like that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of, I don't know if anybody's lined up to play Baldur's Gate 3, but uh, that's, I think that comes out this weekend. Yeah. I am very excited about that. I don't I'm know very when. I'm worried about the time sink. Yeah. Like, I don't know when I'm going to ever start it, but like, I definitely want to. But, you know, they, what they say, there's like, there's more cutscenes than there are in total running time of Game of Thrones. Yeah, there's, well, there's cutscenes for everything, and they have said if you play through like a normal playthrough, like not a completionist, it's like a 90-hour game. Goodness gracious. They, they, said you, they said you could easily, if you're doing side quests and stuff, sink 200 hours into the main campaign. Of the well, and then there's like different endings, right? And like, Right, yeah. Yeah, so... Golly, I don't know. One day I'll play it when I'm retired. Yeah, it's exciting. Well, well, and it's fucking four-player co-op. Oh, really? You can just pl- oh, you can play cool. with like a, you can be a party. You can oh, be wow. a D and D party, which is insane to me. But adds another like that adds scheduling. Yeah, now to you're it. definitely not gonna finish the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah. You'll never finish. Right. You'll get uh, together three or four times over the course of a month and then never do it again. That's what exactly. happened in Divinity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Me and me and Adam were doing a run of Divinity, and and we we got through basically the whole first chapter, mm-hmm. and then never had time to schedule it again. Man. I've gotten through the first chapter of that freaking game like 60 times. Yeah. That game is hard. Through dude. the end of the game like once. Right. <laughs> yeah, Tim and I did the first one and then we did I think we did the same thing where it was like we got through the first chapter of 2 and it took us forever and then we just could not find time to make it happen. Yeah. I feel like a high percentage of people that play Divinity get out of the prison area mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, <laughs> like yep. yeah, the, like, the final like boss is like game. that giant worm that shows up essentially. <laughs> yeah, right, right. All right, well, we got to kick it to our boys over in STF here. Heath, what you been up to, man? So I teach at a school in my hometown. So I was on summer break for a good while. Uh, we're back now, but over summer break, I gave myself a reading goal. I wanted to try to read ten novels over the summer, and I succeeded at reading nine. Nice. I read all of the first Mistborn series and reread some other things, uh, The Gunslinger. But one that I read that I I made myself towards the end, I was like, I want to read a new fantasy like that's come out in the last, you know, 10 years or so. So I read the first book of N.K. Jemisin's Broken Earth trilogy called The Fifth Season, and it was really interesting. All the magic is kind of like earthbending on roids, like <laughs> controlling tectonic plates and volcanic activity. And stuff like that. It was really interesting. And there are some really creative writing techniques in that book as well. 
But I also watched all of Demon Slayer over and Oh, over. nice. Yep. I got through the Mujin train arc and I need to catch up, but that show is fucking tight. Yeah, it's. I really love the art style. I mean, it's like there's some silliness to it that I don't <laughs> love as much as other shows, but the art style is like so good. The combats look really good. So I enjoyed it. And one of my students just gave me a button like two days ago, a Demon Slayer button. I was like, oh, nice. thanks, man. That's cute as hell. But yeah, other than that, I've just been GMing. We've been doing Skitter Saga over on STF and Friends. Adorable Skittermander shenanigans. And I've been GMing some 2E in a home game as well, doing the slithering. Hell yeah, brother. How about you, Adam? What you been up to, man? Well, in the just profound amount of free time that I have, <laughs> I <laughs> I watched Silo. I watched the first season of Silo uh, on Apple TV, and it's like a new kind of post-apocalyptic science fiction show. The concept is that there's this group of people, like 10,000 people, I guess, that have been living in this underground silo for over 100 years. And so, like, they don't know anything about, like, prior to the silo. It's like there's nobody alive in the silo that existed before the silo did, right? And um, they're all, like, contained in the silo by this, like, kind of you know there's the founders and it's like that's the religion right and like if you go outside you'll die and you know the whole concept is if you know somebody does like a heinous crime they get punished by being sent outside and they have to clean this like window or this like camera that shows you the outside you know to remind everybody how horrible it is right and so like mm -hmm. people have gone out there and every person that's gone out there has actually cleaned it even though you really have the option but something happens to clean anyway that's kind of all set up in the first episode and then the rest of this series is well some things happen that some inquisitive people start asking questions about it like okay like what do we know why do we not know our history before that what is going outside is what we are being shown the truth and you have this whole like kind of like conspiracy mystery of, of trying to figure out what the actual truth is. It is based on a book series. It's really good. I would say that it probably could have been eight episodes instead of 10, you know, because mm -hmm. there was times where it felt like it was just filling space. But overall, I really enjoyed it. And then like the big twist at the end certainly has me curious for more. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the show will get made more with the writer's strike and how everything gets canceled immediately, but Apple TV at least has a better track record for that than like Netflix or something. And if they don't, I can always go read the books, but it has Rebecca Ferguson and Tim Robbins and Common is like the cast. Hell yeah. Yeah, and so it, I, I really enjoyed it. it. It's like Fallout if you don't leave, you know? Yeah, yeah. Right. It's like the story of one of the vaults. Yeah, yeah. totally. Totally. And that got me. That sounds fun. Yeah. I got to check that shit out. That's one of my favorite parts of Fallout is like the experimental vaults and figuring out what happened in mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. each of the each of the test ones. Right. Why is this one filled with plants? Like, yeah. why does this one you go in there and there's like all this weird propaganda? Like each one is, has like a unique spin. That's always really fun. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing is that it's actually populated, right? You're not like mm -hmm. just the one person that like woke up and, and walked out. You know what I mean? Like there's like a whole society and like all these rules and like cultural things that exist there you know and i love that kind of stuff anyway and this definitely kind of brings a little bit of a different spin to it just because it's so contained in this you know it's like a hundred plus floors of 
living spaces in the side right. and there's yeah. no elevator like that's one of the rules Ooh. is that you cannot have any mechanized form of travel i still don't know why that's a rule but it is definitely a rule in there and so like if you want to go from the top floor down to the bottom it's like a whole day's journey of like walking down this spiral Christ. of stairs down to the bottom you know that's wild mm -hmm. well yeah Sounds fascinating. I gotta check it out. But you know what? We gotta start talking about some STF stuff. Fair enough. <laughs> How does that sound? Let's do it. So you guys just recently premiered a brand new show. It's called Under the Table. It is a 2E Outlaws of Elkinstar run. I am all caught up on the show, not to because you know it's it's pretty new. There's only a few episodes out right now, but I'll just tell you. You got the strapple seal of approval on this one. This shit fucking slaps. It's off to a great start. So I got a couple questions just for you all, just to sort of introduce the show, and then a couple specific questions for both of you here. So whichever one of you would like to take this first one, we may have some listeners that are unfamiliar with Outlaws of Elkin Star. So do you mind giving me a little bit of a adventure hook? What's it about? Sure, uh, I'll take this one. So it's a setting in a weird West is kind of the thematic adventure, right? So it's kind of a Western, but it's got that weird steampunk vibe also on top of it. And because it's 2E, there is still some magic involved in it. Although where it takes place, magic isn't as common as other places because of mana storms. And that's like a whole thing, but- um, Or as reliable. Yeah. So it's a little bit more dangerous to use magic. And as such, it's become much more of an industrial city that is working on like, steam technology and stuff like that the hook is it's a classic western hook of you're wronged by these corrupt officials and it's a story of revenge and so the players all have reasons why they want to seek out revenge against the main villains of the story and that's something that i really like about this is we know right up front who the villains are like there's no like mm -hmm. slowly peeling back oh this is who's causing all of our grief we know from before episode one with the prologues, who the villains are so we can really kind of lean into that revenge aspect of it. So like Quentin Tarantino does steampunk is the TLDR that I would give it, you know? That is a compelling hook. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino does <laughs> steampunk is a great way to describe it. So is that what really hooked you about this adventure path? Like, cause there's, there's a few of them out there by, by now you have a, a pretty decent array of adventure paths you could have picked from to run a show off of why this one in particular, you felt like particularly compelled by that or, or what about this one really stood out to you? Well, I'll be honest. Our initial plan was to do quest for the frozen flame because that really spoke to all of us. I think specifically because it was so the other end of the spectrum than Starfinder, like it was mm -hmm. like no technology. It was like yeah. the wild wilderness and it was so different than anything that we've ever done. It's not steampunk, it's stone punk. Right, right, right. And so like we were all slated to do that. In fact, Heath and I and a couple of the others from STF played like the first couple encounters of that book and stopped because we're like, ooh, this is gonna be the one that we're gonna do for the show. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, Glass Cannon decided that they were going to do it. And, you know, there was a lot of debate back and forth of whether that really matters. But for me, as a storyteller, I don't really generally mind if there's other shows out there doing the same adventure. But that one in particular, I did not want to be spending the whole time being compared to that. Not because I thought we'd be better or worse, just because I didn't want that context layered over the top of the adventure. So we started looking at some other ones and Outlaws of Alchemstar, 
I mean, it's like the one that makes the most sense for us to do because like we can really do it well, but we were hesitant because it was almost too on the nose for us to do. But once I kind of like dug into it, let go of Quest for the Frozen Flame and talked to the rest of the group, we all kind of decided that this would be the one to do. So that's why we chose it. Heath, I don't know if you have anything to add to that, but. I mean, it was kind of a challenge pivoting, but I very much was interested in this one. I, you know, a big fan of the kind of layered genres of this adventure, but also the setting is like phenomenal. The region that it takes place in is like my favorite region in all of 2E. Yeah, Alkenstar is such a cool, just, I mean, people have been waiting for this adventure for mm. all of 1E. Right. <laughs> like, like I've been playing 1E for a long time. Like, people have been waiting for this since, like, Alkenstar splat book material was out. Because mm-hmm. it's just such a mm-hmm. different part of the setting and has such a cool vibe to it. Like, you can't really do Weird West in much of the rest of Galarian. So for it to work really well, you need a place like Alkenstar. Right. Well, Heath, I think you just like nailed my transition to the next question <laughs> because my next question is about the setting. So where this takes place is a little corner of the world called the Impossible Lands. And even more specifically, the campaign starts in the city of Elkenstar. This is uh, an area of the world that Paizo's given a lot of attention to recently. So like, what about this corner of the world that some people who are listening may be a little bit more unfamiliar with? Like, what stands out to you? What, what makes it cool? Why is it fun? I'm glad you asked. Steve. Um, <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so the Impossible Lands is a really dynamic, interesting region. Kind of the first thing, if you were looking at the history of the region that you would notice is that where Alkenstar is located is in the middle of what's called the Mana Waste, which is basically magical nuclear fallout land, right? It's like a wasteland mm-hmm. desert. And it is that because to the north, they have the completely magical society of Nex and to the south the completely undead society of Geb and they were at war for a thousand years and in that war demolished this sort of no man's land that became the Mana Wastes and Alkenstar was founded by sort of refugees fleeing that conflict and so that has a lot to do with why they really don't have a lot of magic in Alkenstar because they're mistrustful of it. You know, like a lot of people mm-hmm. fled the horrors of a war where magic was weaponized to such a, a large degree and large scale. So that really lended itself to them becoming this sort of industrial city-state. And that is, I mean, to me, just fascinating. Which I also do have to mention, off the coast, the red-headed stepchild of the Impossible Lands is Jalmaray. It's Vudrin, so it's like the India correlate in Pathfinder 2E. Mm-hmm. Culturally, it's Vudrin because it has a portal to Vudra on this island nation, but it has like the highest Genikin population in all of non Vudra, you know, Galarian, as well as a lot of uh, Rakshasas and like monk schools and stuff. It's a really fascinating little island, but it gets overshadowed a lot by the war between Nex and Geb. Yeah, it's just such a fascinating corner of the world. When they released that Impossible Lands book, I fucking devoured it. I did too. Mm-hmm. I did awesome. Too. Yeah. yeah. I think it's the most diverse area of the setting. You have so many different stories you can tell in the Impossible Lands because of how different Nex is from Geb, from Alkenstar, from Jalmaray. Right. It's really fun to have like Jalmaray in particular 
so that you can get that kind of like Vudran influence without having like the whole, you know, Mwangi book or something. Right. I'm sure we'll get that for Vudra eventually, but like for now to at least have like the, you know, the cultural tie-in is really cool. Right. That's what's really unique. You made a great point with the Impossible Lands. Like a lot of regions like the Mwangi or Northern Garand or Avistan, like they like each nation state may have different kind of hangups and tendencies and stuff but culturally a lot of the time they're fairly similar across multiple nations whereas every nation in the impossible lands couldn't be more different from right. one another totally you know that's so true yeah that's awesome yeah so big fan of that corner of the world let's talk a little bit about like the influences on this campaign i've heard the term from you guys a couple times already weird west mm-hmm. so coming into this were you guys big fans of Westerns? Is that like a compelling genre for you folks? Yeah. Uh, well, for some of us, I know for me, it was like later in life, but over the last, you know, five or 10 years, I've really gotten into Westerns in that. And uh, I know Heath, you've been into Westerns for a while, right? Well, my dad was really big into Westerns when I was a kid. So I've always loved Westerns and my dad can be real hit or miss in his, um, you know, analysis of good film and media in general, but he put me on some like really phenomenal Westerns when I was uh, very young. The most notable of which, I mean, I've got lists and lists of Westerns that I could talk about, but we actually discussed, you know, what Westerns we like in one of the early episodes. And I've, in retrospect, feel bad for leaving this one off because I think to me, it's the most foundational one is Lonesome Dove, which was a, a four part miniseries, came out in 1989. The book, Lonesome Dove, is one of the great pieces of fiction in American history, and the miniseries is one of the greatest Westerns, if not the greatest Western ever made. And that's not me just saying that. Like, I was literally looking it up, and, like, it's on so many people's lists of being like, no, this is, as far as attention to character detail and characterization, it's very intimate with its characters, but it's broad and epic and sweeping adventure of two former lawmen, Texas Rangers, who are basically retired when it starts, who go on this big cattle drive and all kinds of adventure ensues. But it is phenomenal. If you ever got four hours to kill, (laughs) go watch Lonesome Dove. I might watch that tomorrow. That sounds awesome. It's beautiful. Full disclosure, I haven't mentioned this yet, but you know, after I listened to the first few episodes of Under the Table, I was inspired to rewatch the 310 to Yuma remake from like 2007 or whatever with Christian Bale. Shit, fuck. That's the one that like it's good. Got me going on. I was like, oh, okay, I I like Mm -hmm. this, and 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 like a lot of the kind of modern westerns that came out like around that time, and uh, I guess up till now, just like. I really like the kind of frontier aspect where there isn't the trappings of technology or like even well-defined laws, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know. It's, it's just interesting to, you can tell some kind of uh, cool heroic stories through that, yeah. you know. Griff, you a Western fan? You know, I dabble. I kind of like the genre of like Western horror. Mm -hmm. I think that's like really fun to explore because you have the, like you said, like the frontier aspect of most Westerns is classic, like fear of the unknown thing that then Mm -hmm. gets twisted into, you know, shit like bone tomahawk and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. uh, 
Steve, you mentioned the weird West and the thing that I think that I like about Western as a base setting, then you add stuff, whether like it's horror or science fiction on top of it, or like steampunk is like, I think Western settings are one of the most interesting to put like asynchronous stuff on top of, because like it's already kind of frontier and people are already yeah. kind of uncertain. And then you just like, you know, it's like Cowboys and Aliens. Like that's not like a great movie or a great Western, but it's just fun. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and like, yeah. I feel like you can have a lot of fun in that space, but just, you know, Back to the Future 3 is ridiculous, but super fun because it just like adds this, like, for some reason, I can't really articulate it, but Westerns seem to like absorb the weird stuff in a better way than I think some other, you know, period genres do. You know, yeah, I, I call like the entire Dark Tower series a western. Totally, that's totally. like, I mean, that's one of my favorite series. That's very foundational for us as a mm. group of friends. You know, like we all kind of read that series together. And it's so we weird, West, right? It's very yeah. weird, West. Yeah, yeah. I've never read it. Believe oh, yeah, it's so it's great. Good. It's fantastic. So great. Yeah. Have any of you watched on uh, Amazon Outer Range? No, I've heard that's oh, no. very good though. Outer Range is weird. It's very weird West. It's like, but it's modern. It's like in a maybe the '90s or early 2000s mm -hmm. in like Montana, and it gets into some like crazy timey wimey stuff. Yeah. How about Wild Wild West? Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> another another movie that's just like fun. It's stupid, but man, is it just like yeah. a fun movie because it's just so ridiculous, you know? Right. Right. If one if one of your characters came in as an automaton with crab legs, I was getting out of there. <laughs> <laughs> no, don't worry, that's just the villains. <laughs> that's just the villains. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, I do have a couple questions specifically for Adam, and then a couple specifically for Heath to talk a little bit more about this adventure. So I think now would be a good time to get into that. So Adam. You're the GM of this new podcast, mm. but most people listening at home probably know you from GMing Starfinder. So have you had previous experience GMing before for 2E? Yeah. So very purposefully, we played a at home game of Abomination Vaults and specifically to learn the game so that I would be in a better position to GM it for a podcast and really for the players too, so that they could get a better sense of how the game works because you know 2e is a punishing game if you don't understand that the team dynamics are how the game is balanced and so if you're playing 2e in the same way that you play starfinder or even 1e you're gonna have a hard time because you have to like rethink about how you approach the encounters and so we used abomination vaults which is encounter after encounter after encounter right to like really dive into mechanics of the system but we got all the way through the first book i you know we still want to continue finish that but right now we're trying to put as much runway on under the table as we can so it's kind of on hold for now but we played a little bit of fall of plague stone whenever 2e first came out and i gm that and we all had a miserable time with that and didn't <laughs> yep, you did. don't it say. almost killed the game for us yeah like i didn't touch uh, it yep. again until I mean I was like keeping up with it but I didn't have any interest in running a game again until Abomination Vaults came out and then I was like okay this mm -hmm. seems like a better way to learn right Abomination Vault seems great for mechanics oh it is it just lays it out for you floor by floor it like it should have been the first adventure in my opinion it's certainly a great starter three book adventure path if you want to do something a little beefier than like the troubles of atari and you could really do troubles in atari into a 
abomination vaults mm-hmm. and it would all be great because it just like builds on itself each level you learn a little bit more about how the game works you know and so yeah like to fall plague stone we almost were like we're not gonna do 2e as a group for some that's still that's still the mindset but i started digging into abomination vaults and talked to heath and i was like hey let's let's just try this again of course he was down you know he's always down for whatever and then um we got dustin on board with that because he was like gobbling up all the 2e stuff like if there was a 2e like champion in our group it's dustin which is a big reason why he's on that show because he loves it so much and has been just ingesting everything to E as it comes out all the time so he was definitely on board and then there's another friend of ours who isn't so much a podcast personality you know like he doesn't even turn on his cam when we're just playing for ourselves you know what i mean like he's very you know quiet and kind of solo person but you know he wasn't in any of our games and he was in our 5e games and so i wanted an opportunity for him to play too because you know he's part of our friend group and realizing that we were kind of had all this stuff going with podcasts and he didn't get a chance to play so that was our starting group to learn it nice rock and roll man all right so when i fired up the rss feed for this new podcast (laughs) i listened to those intro episodes and I said to myself, these intro episodes are fucking awesome. For folks who haven't listened yet, there's one for each character on the show. They're about 15, 20 minutes long, and they're basically almost like standalone stories that are all somewhat interconnected. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to talk to you about that a little bit, Adam, because I thought that was a really cool way to intro the show and these characters. So like, how did you pull that all off like working with your characters to make sure that like details from one story are in the other did you write them all did your like players write them all like yeah i didn't give it to me any of them okay so each player (laughs) wrote their own but let me tell you the story of how these came to be (laughs) because because it was all very organic but very stressful for me okay initially we were gonna start because i really didn't want to do the start in a tavern but that is how the adventure starts. But I was, I initially had the idea of starting at the bank, like with them going into the bank and then doing flashbacks to that conversation of them meeting at the table and like kind of do it like a high style. You know how, when they're like, you know, doing voiceover of what the plan is as you're seeing the plan being executed, right? Mm I don't hate that idea. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. like, and I thought it was going to be really cool. But then when I started like trying to put pen to paper, it felt like it was going to be difficult to pull off in an audio only setting. And I also felt like we weren't really giving the characters a proper feeling of who they are. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah, we would be jumping right into the action, but it would be several episodes before we had any real grasp of who the characters are. So I, I backstepped on that. We had like two session zeros and so in the second session zero i was like okay i don't want to do that anymore let's do some prologue episodes and i really want to establish mugland and loveless as villains and so like you know use your background as inspiration to give me the story of why you have a problem with one or both of these people Right. And so that was just all that I, you know, that's what I gave them to do. And I was like, okay, you have a couple of weeks to get this, you know, I want it on my desk by, the, you know, XYZ day. Right. Well, that didn't happen, of course. <laughs> you know, like Dustin had his first and we recorded his first. And then I edited it and put it out. Everybody listened to it. Right. They're cool. They're like, that's cool. Then I got Emily's next. 
everybody listened to it. And then John and Heath just, you know, I love them dearly, but they pushed it to the last minute. In fact, it ended up being like a week or two after when I wanted to have them done. But as a result of that, and because they had heard the two prior to that, they could start incorporating some things that they had heard into their story. And John was the last person to finish his. And I think just organically, it just came to be to where he could then write the story that references all the other ones within his story, which is good because he's the one that really has the least direct tie to the villains. He just is straight up in the wrong place at the wrong time situation, whereas everybody else was kind of involved in things that put them on the radar of Muglin and Loveless. John's character just a, a bystander in a lot of this. And so that being able to use the bystander perspective to tie in the other three, I think was really cool. So at the end of the day, it did work out really well, but I was stressed the entire time of that process. <laughs> Let me fill in some holes in that story. <laughs> so Adam's absolutely right. Me and John blew past our deadline. But because we did so, like me and him, a lot of the time when we do stuff for the show, we'll bounce ideas off each other. We'll get in a call, work on stuff. So, you know, we knew we were we were late on our thing. We had to get it done. And fortunately, I was during, you know, my break. And so for th about three days, like we would get in a call and write and bounce back and forth on each of our stories very collaboratively, stay up till like three in the morning, be like, OK, we made it to this point go to bed we'll work on it tomorrow and we'd go to bed sleep till like 11 get up get some breakfast get a shower and get right back on the call and work till 12 1 2 in the morning and we did that for like three days and actually we finished his before mine and then i had to go back and finish mine and he went back and tweaked on his and was you know just hung up on little i've got to make it perfect kind of stuff so his actually should have come out before mine but, you know, we helped each other out a lot. It was very stressful. I know for Adam, it was just as stressful, if not more, for me and John. But, you know, out of that sort of crucible, I think, came some amazing storytelling because we both were so locked in once we were doing the work on analyzing each other's stories and, like, saying what works and what doesn't and not getting our feelings hurt about it, like, being very honest with each other because we were like, that's all we were doing for like two or three days. I love that collaborative process. And clearly it, it worked really well because as you listen to these, you listen to the Dustin one and you're like, okay, cool story. Then you listen to the Emily one and you're like, okay, cool story. And also I caught a couple things that because I listened to the last one makes sense. And then they each just seems to build on the next one. They're really cool. Yeah, definitely snowballs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Heath, I got a couple questions for you. I didn't you, know you had such a, such a nice voice, Heath. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I was a singer in a band for a time. Couple, Let's talk about it, man. So you're playing a bard, Jamaray George. Yep. So like introduce the listening audience to this character. So who and and what are you playing? Let's get some character ABCs, baby. Yeah, absolutely. My character, George Davala, is a bard in Alkenstar, plays the, you know, the clubs, the shady criminal bars and stuff like that. Jalmaray George is his stage name. He was born in Jalmaray. Uh, but before what he was old enough to remember anything relocated to Alkenstar. He is an Undine Genikin, which is the water 
variant of Geniekin. So he's got like the, a lot of people call him fish ears, right? Uh, that's a, a joke that keeps being made about him because he's got fin-like ears and like greenish skin, and his hair has a lot of different shades of blue and green striping through it, as well as his beard. But yeah, so he, like I say, he was he was born in in Jalmeray, but because he has no memory of it and has had kind of an, a rough upbringing in Alkenstar, because everybody does in Alkenstar, it's a tough place. He's got this sort of wistfulness and like maybe hopeful naivete and longing for Jalmeray. Like he idealizes Jalmeray as this like grand place that he could escape Alkenstar from, whether or not that's actually true. And how are you enjoying playing a bard so far? This is one that I've played. I can't remember. I'm Griff. I'm sure you've played a bard in 2E at this point, right? Yes. Yeah. Love bard in 2E. It's one of my favorite 2E classes. Yeah, it fucking rocks. How are you enjoying it, Heath? I'm enjoying it so far. You know, I've played a, a lot more kind of frontline tanks and, and damage dealers and stuff in the past. But uh, as Adam mentioned, we were to prepare for this, played some Abomination Vaults. And much like you, I played a Life Oracle. Hell yeah, man. And so good. I really enjoyed the support aspect and the healing of that character, as well as having charisma as a main stat being a sort of face role, you know? So like mm -hmm. for under the table, I'm really enjoying, I've got the support role, some healing, not as much healing. It's a lot more like help everybody out, but I like being in that face role without the burden of like, being a clear-cut like leader you know like there's not like a leadership position we're all kind of in this together but he's the one with the gift of gab and and that's a lot of fun to play off of and and i will say like from my experience playing abomination vaults and now under the table bless is probably my favorite low level spell like i love the like aura and the being able to expand it every round and just like giving people buffs for a whole minute of combat that just gets a bigger and bigger radius I've come around on that spell a lot. As soon as it came out with like the initial release of the rule set, I was like, oh, plus one, this fucking sucks. It's, then, but it's huge. And yes. Yeah. And then as I got comfortable with the system and started enjoying that, I've only done it once as Vec on Bestow Curse, but like that is a surprisingly good spell. I agree with you. You right. are correct. We got Inspire Courage. That's better bless, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Inspire Courage is, is a stronger bless, but. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, so the Oracle, I didn't have Inspire Courage. Right, but, right. Yeah. You know, it's a good backup. If you're, you know, if you don't have focus points to do Inspire Courage for a, a long time, you can just go ahead and have Bless and get, you know, a wide radius on it. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I got a listener question here. We're getting into one a little early. We got one from Lord Deathquake here. Mm -hmm. Heath, why that accent? What was that thought process? <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to come up. <laughs> so... In the lead up to making these characters, I really kind of struggled figuring out an identity to start with. Like I, I had settled on, I'm going to play Bard, but I was like, I don't want to just be a, you know, just generic Bard. And I want him to have an accent or at least a unique, you know, timbre to his voice. So he's memorable. And so I was kind of beating my head against the wall. And I was like, you know what? Like Alkenstar has a lot of like criminal elements, like as much as it's a Western, I think there's a lot of like kind of gangster movie vibe in Alkenstar. So that's more the, I, I didn't go watch a bunch of Westerns. I went and watched a bunch of gangster movies. Oh, sure. And, and crime movies. I watched Ronin and Blow with Johnny Depp was the first inkling that I had. I was like, oh, his like sort of 
low-key, deeper-register Boston accent. I was like, that. I want to do something like that. And then I went and watched other Boston crime movies, like The Town and The Departed, right? Yeah, and I then I, and I was you, like... You gave me Departed vibes very early. Well, yeah, so watching <laughs> all of those, I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. I like it because Adam told me I wasn't allowed to do a Southern accent, which is fair because <laughs> I do them too often. So I was like, okay, cool. Challenge accepted. So I'll do another sounds like he came from the gutter American accent. I just saw the town for the first time, like three or four weeks ago. It's a good movie. It's fucking good. Yeah. yeah. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Awesome, man. It's cool to hear. It wasn't just, I mean, this is usually my process it was like, what's an accent that I can easily pull off? But like you actually like grounded it in something. Which yeah. Is I, d- I mean, I'm not from that area of the United States, so I don't really have any practice with it. So I was like, it, it was like I had to watch videos and watch movies and like I probably looked like a crazy person sitting in my office just sitting here practicing a Boston <laughs> accent for days on end. But yeah, it's, it's something I had to do work to do because it doesn't come natural to me. Sweet, man. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about some of the other characters on this show here. Heath, you're locking down that bard role, but we also got John, Dustin and Emily on the show as well. Let's round out the cast here. What's the rest of that party look like? Well, Dustin's playing an alchemist, a Kyurgen alchemist, uh, trying to fulfill the healer role of the party. Uh, Emily is playing a gunslinger, I believe Way of the Drifter is the way that she took. And then John is playing a ranger, a flurry ranger. Nice, nice. And I, I want to speak a little bit about that. It was really hard to pin down what John wanted to play. You know, like <laughs> he initially wanted to play a rogue that has what's the what's the champion. free arc no well yeah he wanted to play a rogue champion and i was kind of i kind of vetoed that and then he was going to do the rogue build where what you take mauler i guess as your free archetype but the frontline rogue build uh the ruffian yeah, like the, 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 yeah the ruffian rogue with the mauler free archetype or whatever and uh he, that was his first character in abomination vault and i asked him i was like okay you know that's fine but you know what role are you trying to fill and he's like well i think i want to be a frontline fighter doing damage or frontline melee combatant doing damage i was like well i really think you should look at flurry ranger because then you don't have to spend your free archetype to get the build that you it's like built into the class at level one and he just like couldn't see past the robin hood of it all you know what i mean and like (laughs) And it just took a long time. And we finally, like, I'm talking, like, Dustin came up to New Orleans and we spent all night, one night, like, building of rangers and, like, trying to, like, show him how it would lay out. He's like, oh, this is great. He, like, finally, like, saw it, you know? Mm -hmm. And then (laughs) the week after he was supposed to have his prologue to me, he sends me a message. He's like, hey, I got a question. I was like, okay, it's probably about the prologue, right? He's like, no. It's what if I change this to monk? What if I'm a monk? I was like, dude, <laughs> the ship has sailed. Oh man. man, like I like I got I was I got so upset. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? Why are you talking about changing your class instead of writing your damn prologue? You know what I mean? Um, but I think that he has really come to appreciate it, and I think it does achieve what he wanted to achieve as, as the like kind of position he fills in the party. I think he's still a little gun shy about being up front just because, you know, 2E will 
put your frontliners yeah. down, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you get a level or two under his belt yeah. before he feels good about right, it. Right, right, right. That's the round out of the party, right? So Ranger, Alchemist, Bard, and Gunslinger. A little non-traditional, if I may say so myself. Griff, what do you think? You think they're going to make it? I think that works really well for the setting. I don't know, well, I know some of your archetypes, but I don't know all of the archetypes. And I think, you know, you guys playing with that system allows you to really flesh out any gaps that you currently have, mm-hmm. which I think I think you're pretty good. Like a, the Surgeon Alchemist got a huge buff mm-hmm. with the uh, um, treasure vaults, right? Oh, yeah. With treasure vaults, yeah. And I, I assume it's probably going to get buffed even more with like 2.5e or whatever we're calling it, the remaster. Right. Alchemist is one of the classes that's getting touched in that. But you like need a gunslinger in in Outlaws of Alchemist. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, I'm very totally. glad you guys have one. Yeah, you know I love Bard for the magic class in that setting because again, like Keith has woven his character in, it just it works so well. Like being you know being like a tavern singer that kind of thing. Like if you were a wizard in Alchemist, I'd be like, uh, are you sure you're not from Next? <laughs> like yeah, visiting? well, like, that's, what's going that's on? one of the things too that's really cool about the player's guide is that the writers were aware like this place has a specific vibe and has even narrative reasons to not play some things, you know. So mm-hmm. it has like yeah. a tiered list of like, hey, these classes, these species or ancestries, these are suggested. Then the next tier is like, these are all right, like there's justifiable mm-hmm. reason and then so you know down further and further it's like yeah you probably shouldn't do this one <laughs> well, that, was, that was so awesome that they start i think they started doing that those charts with outlaws because it's such a unique adventure mm-hmm. and they've been doing that now for every adventure path it's so helpful to have like they they've charted out like the skills too and they're right. like yeah. you know hey uh nature probably not a big deal in alkenstar yeah. right you know yeah. but you, but like it, hey it's crafting, crafting big deal yep. yeah right 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 <laughs> Totally. So it's it's cool. I think Alkenstar was the first one they added that to a player's guide, but I think that's like invaluable now. I wanted it in every player's guide totally. previous too. <laughs> right. Um, but like, it, it's very interesting. Like I, I, and again, you're four episodes in, right? But like to have a party that doesn't really seem like very tied to a deity yet or like any of that kind of stuff is like, is also very interesting. You know, not having a divine cast or that kind of thing is... I I think is going to make for really good storytelling because in a world where all of that exists, it's absent in this party, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't have your traditional like fighter, rogue, cleric, wizard party, but also this adventure and this setting specifically don't lend well to that style of play. Like you guys got your bases covered and I think it's a non-traditional party, but I think it's really cool for the story and the setting. But we got to we got to keep talking about some other stuff here. I want to make sure we cover all of the good STF stuff that's coming out these days. So I just want to shout out one last time before we move off of under the table, the release schedule. So you are bi-weekly on Wednesdays, correct? Correct. Just alternating with Live and Let Fly. So, you know, Live and Let Fly come out one week, then Under the Table and, you know, back and forth that way. Our next episode of Under the Table comes out on Wednesday the second. If you're listening to this from the future from now, well, you missed it. You missed it. But you know, but it's there. Uh, but it's there. It's yep. there. So yeah, it's bi-weekly on Wednesdays, alternating with one of our other shows, Living That Fly. 
Hell yeah. Well, let's run down some of the other shows because Under the Table isn't the only thing you're doing these days. You folks are deep into book two of Devastation Arc, correct? On the, uh, on the APA. Actually, we've finished book what? two. Yeah. Yep. Oh, the, man. The book two finale episode comes out this tomorrow. Okay. That's, that's, that's what I was like. Wait a second. I did not think <laughs> I had listened to the finale. Yeah. Or it was a very understated one. Yeah, okay. We finished so that is coming it. out. You have yes. finished mm-hmm. it. You know? So that's just one book left, right? Correct. One book left of nine that we've done, we'll have done total for this group of characters. Yeah. Damn, that is exciting. And are you guys excited for what's coming next? Because I think you've already announced it, right? Yeah, we're going to do the Drift Crisis Adventures, Drift Crashers and Drift Hackers. I think that we're all just, I mean, certainly we're excited for it, but the looming end of APA is so much more in our minds than the drift adventures at this sure it's like we can comfortably not think about the drift adventures right now because (laughs) that's like later you know once we finish the apa then there'll be room to get excited Mm -hmm. hard say we've like just now started getting excited about skull and jack right yeah mm -hmm. because you just have all this emotional finish you need to get done you have all the emotional energy invested in your main show and and wrapping that up and making sure that it hits good. I mean, we, you know, we still do have a whole book to go, but as y'all know, Starfinder books are shorter than Pathfinder mm-hmm. books. And so I'm thinking we're like 20 to 30 episodes away from the end. And that, that's crazy to think of, you know? Yeah. Let's talk about some of the other stuff that's going on. Live and let fly. What's going on here? You guys still enjoying that show? Oh yeah. I think we're closing. If I, you know, I don't know for sure. Cause I don't run that one. I just play in it, but I'm pretty sure we're closing in on the end of, book two of that adventure and book two has been very long comparatively to other starfinder adventures it's like it's robust and chunky and a lot's going on i think that we're just now getting to the point to where a lot of these like disparate jobs that we've done are coming together in a narrative kind of cohesion thing it's it's really weird where we're at right now we're uh, Mm -hmm. we're trying to figure some things out but yeah so that show is fun it's very different Yes. Compared to like, it's again, we're only in book two, but at least through this point, it's managed to still keep us feeling like we're not the traditional space heroes. You know what I mean? Like it's very slice of life. Yeah. And like, even though we're getting more powerful in our abilities and stuff like that, the stories that we're involved in are, it's just not, you know, there's not like some big galactic conflict that we're trying to stop it's like literally trying to survive to get to the next job make enough money to get our ship from job a to job b and that's been persistent throughout and as such it's created a space for a lot of different type of like role play and storytelling than we normally do it's very fun to listen to because it is just structurally different like it's it's a breath of fresh air in a little bit of a way because it, it is so different but it's good i really enjoy it let's talk about the other big one you guys got going on right now stf and friends keith you're heading this one up right now this is the twitch show that you all do and then end up releasing the audio cut onto the the patreon feed that you all have so how are you enjoying gming the skitter saga man oh it's uh, delightfully frustrating. Um, <laughs> I picked a good crew for it. Uh, Adam playing in that one as well. I mean, you know, we kind of had a session zero before we started it, and they're all using the pre-gen skittermanders that come with those three adventures. It's it's three 
one-shots that we're doing. There were four Skittermander-based free RPG day one-shots that came out ending in, what, or 2020, I think was the last one. And so each one's a one-shot that I'm doing as two episodes because I'm long-winded and so are they. But so, you know, in, in the session zero, there was kind of the question of like, okay, well, well, what do you want out of this? And I was like, I just want you all to be wholesome and adorable. Like, that's it. Like, do the adventure, be funny, wholesome, and adorable, and we will have a great time. And and they've really lived up to it. They have gone above and beyond embodying these helpful... Uh, Helping and shopping. Skittermanders, yeah. It's been a blast. This is my second time GMing for STF and Friends. And I've also, as I mentioned, been GMing a home game, and... I really feel a lot more comfortable now, you know, like sure. I, I've, I've gotten a lot more practice. And so the Skitter Saga stuff has been just a delight because I'm not nervous going into it, really. Like I, I'm, I'm more free to kind of roll with the punches and interpret stuff. And it's been a blast. We've got one more episode. There will be one more and the Skitter Saga's six episode run will be finished and we'll move on to other stuff because with STF and Friends, we do kind of shorter adventures on Twitch and rotate cast members and guests and rotate who's GMing for every one of them. Hell yeah, man. For any of the listeners that don't know or are living under a rock, Steve and I are both veterans of that show. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. if you go back to the previous seasons, we've both been on a season of STF and Friends and they were both a blast. Yeah. I got to play on the original Heath one, the Twin Heists. Twin Heists. That was such a blast. Twin Heists was good. See, that one I was not nearly as comfortable as I am now. Uh, but I'm glad <laughs> yeah, I went ahead and shows. ripped the band-aid no, off. <laughs> I mean, you, yeah, make it out like you're joking. It, it, it does show, I'm sure. But, you know, that's the great thing about having went ahead and done it and, mm. and been doing some jamming in my own time. Like, goodness, the stress is so much lower now. Well, you're jamming. Adam, you're playing. Who and what are you playing, man? I am playing Taimo Nako, originally known as Nako, but I've added syllables to my name mm-hmm. over the course of it because it's a thing that Skittermanners do. I'm playing like the soldier of the group. I'm having a blast playing it, you know, because I am getting to just like lean into a wholesome goofiness and my castmates are also doing a really good job of like, we're just creating a real Skittermander culture between the four characters like like it feels really lived in and it's it's you know i always like to get a chance to play and explore a singular character rather than trying to hold on to 100 characters in my mind you know yeah well i give the show all six if you know what i'm saying (laughs) but before we move on to some listener questions we've talked apa live and let fly under the table stf and friends where can people find all this stuff? Let's do the plug now before we get into listener questions. All right, the easiest place to go <laughs> is just go to our website because it has it all kind of charted out. So that's the stfnetwork.com. APA comes out weekly on Sundays. Live and Let Fly comes out on Wednesdays bi-weekly, alternating with Under the Table. STF and Friends, it varies because as Heath said, we change our cast with each arc so as such scheduling changes we try to get two of those done every month on in there on monday nights when we do them so they're live on monday nights the youtube rewatch on demand is available the very next day and for the audio only that's a little cleaned up and you can get it in podcast form comes out the friday after the monday that we've done the episode 
and that's a Patreon exclusive. We also have a couple other shows. We have a show similar to this called Tom Talks, which is also a Patreon exclusive. That comes out monthly-ish. We have a our uh, Hacky Sack Heroes show, which is a show run by Emily. It's a homebrew series of adventures featuring young, dumb kids going on wacky shenanigans that's getting close to wrapping up i think we got maybe one or two episodes left to record of that and we'll be done with that but that'll be replaced with another homebrew series called shadow protection agency and if you've listened to apa you'll have some context of what that is if you haven't listen to apa Uh, and then there's a secret show and that's all i'm gonna say about that (laughs) yeah i wouldn't know anything about that secret show (laughs) do the work go dig yeah go dig All right. Well, it is listener questions time. The first one comes from Newt. Right away, he's addressing myself and Griff. If you were playing in Outlaws of Star, what would be your character voices? First thing that comes to mind, Griff, what you got? I actually thought about this because I have an answer to the next question, too, because I really wanted to play Outlaws of Star. Me too. Uh, Southern Bell. Oh, man, I wasn't going to do Southern. No, specifically Southern Bell. Almost constantly. Yes, I guess both of our answers are Southern. Outlaws of Star is going to be Southern in our run. That is the funny thing. Like, it lends itself to that being a Western. But we're all Southern (laughs) and quite frequently do Southern voices. So it's like nobody can do that. Nobody's allowed to do Southern (laughs) in the one show that it actually makes sense Except for me. I can do all. You do it for, yeah, all kinds of people. Yep. All right. Well, then he turns the script here. Adam and Heath, same question, but for Skull and Shackles. So our pirate adventure we're about to run. What would you guys do? Uh, It's so hard because like the voice is like the last thing that I develop. Right. Normally this question I feel like would be what class would you play? You know? Oh, that's That is the next question. That is the next question. (laughs) Oh, okay. Gotcha. We'll get to that. Uh, Just off the top of my head, I would probably try to brush up like a, a Russian or like East European accent for that because I wouldn't want to play directly to theme. Hey, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Like I would want, I wouldn't mind being like, you know, leaning into the pirate theme, but I don't want to yar har hard the whole thing, you know. So I think that's probably would be my initial instinct, which I think pairs well with the answer to the next question. <laughs> and Heath, how would you speak on this show? Uh, I mean, I've already got a very Cockney character, so that would be super easy and fitting. But I guess because it would be expected of me not to do that, I'd probably do like, you know, the English gentleman turned pirate, like came from a a life of privilege, but had to turn to pirating. All right. Well, our next question comes from Finder of Paths and Stars. It's basically an iteration off of the last one. Same scenario as Newt's question, but what sort of character would you be playing? Hit me with the ABCs. I don't know if we're going to do the full ABCs here, but I at least want to talk classes because that's kind of fun. Now, when I think about what class that I'm going to play, I really need to achieve two goals. I want to play something that I think is going to be fun. And I also need to play something that I'm not already playing. So I would not be playing a dedicated healer. I would not be playing a like grapple monk. Like the things that I'm playing right now, I wouldn't want to do again or be close to that. So that kind of restricts what I would play in this hypothetical Outlaws of Elkinstar. So I don't know. I I think it would be kind of fun to play a bard, like kind of like Heath. But again, with Vec doing the high charisma thing, I don't think I want to be party face for both. The way that I'll answer the question is I would wait to see 
what everybody else was doing at the table. And if no one's playing a gunslinger, well, someone's got to play a gunslinger right, in this fucking sure. AP. <laughs> so I would, I would do that if it's not being done. And then ancestry, probably just something kind of local because, you know, mm-hmm. impossible ants are cool and they have really cool ancestries around there. Griff. So the character I had planned for playing Outlaws of Alkenstar is a character that in like crime circles goes by Mama. And she is a, she's an old woman that was never able to have children. And she is a bard that takes the, um, I believe it's the, it's one of the uh, reanimator archetypes. um, The the one that you need to be able to cast animate dead for. So she's essentially a crime boss that's a necromancer. All her children are these zombies that work under her. Is it Uh, zombie children? They're not actually kids, but like, you know, they, they call them like mama's children because wow. like she's known as this, she's not like a crime boss, but she's like known in the Alkenstar underworld as like this, this figure. Yeah. But yeah, bard, uh, probably human for that. Honestly. Yeah. Nice. Okay. All right. Heath, you're playing in a hypothetical skull and shackles game. What are you playing? Somebody's got to play the swashbuckler, dude. You're like, right. Somebody's got to do it. <laughs> I'm already the fancy English gentleman. We'll, we'll go swashbuckler. Well, nice. swashbuckler is definitely a class that I would love to play. So if that was open, I would certainly take it. But I'm also just to make things like exciting. I would also play like a Patra or they called cat folk and Tui or they Patra as well. Cat. They're cat. Well, they're like a Murin. Yeah. All right. So I would play a cat folk kineticist, a water specific kineticist. I've been thinking like kineticist seems so fun. If you take like water, air, and wood, you're basically like well, the the new kineticist you can only take two, right? You can't. They they got rid of the universal one. So you can duel, but at every. You can either. Oh yeah, you can like add you, in. You can either other... open a new element or improve your current elements. Right. So you can get all the elements as a kineticist. It just takes you know takes a leveling progression, yeah. and you you lose a lot of the cool junction things that are that are I think just like some of the coolest material that Paizo has put out <laughs> recently. Yeah, <laughs> I would definitely like main water, and then it's like start pulling in some air stuff maybe some some earth stuff like you said uh wood would yeah it would be, be great because you're on the boat but yeah i think that would be a lot of fun and it'd be a cool would add some spice to your typical pirate campaign you know i would like my fancy lad um pirate swashbuckler to also be a gripply that's what i would like <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. perfect i love it no notes all right, very final question of the night here it comes from E-Robs. This is specifically for Heath. Oh. So Heath, I know you've been avidly listening to Bestow Cursed, yeah. listening to the HLP Cruise Adventures and to influence how you decided to build George or any themes you were hoping to bring in as a player in Outlaws. <laughs> she asked this question because she knows the answer to it. <laughs> yes, insofar as like you guys really got me jazzed up for Tui in a period of time where I was reading the impossible lands we knew we were going to do some kind of 2e project and listening to you guys i was like man this is a really well done project but they have so many good character ideas i need to not do those like i need to <laughs> be cognizant of not like borrowing any of your ideas you know was much more the influence that you had on me 
So, yeah, I I was like, I'm not stealing anything from Bestow Curse. I refuse. Meanwhile, me and Emily just organically in separate shows were like, yeah, I'm going to be an Ifrit gunslinger. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I'll say that, you know, I, while not as far along as Heath is on Bestow Curse, I certainly have been listening to it around episode 20 at this point, and... I like how Griff handles hero points in that, and I certainly kind of took that to uh, appreciate Archer. the shout out. Yeah, and then gave gave you the shout out. And you know, I think it's hard not to be influenced by each other's shows because one, where we already have our Venn diagram is already kind of has a lot of overlap, and the things that aren't overlapped are very cool ideas on either side, and we play together a lot. And I just think that the as it goes on we just there's a reason why we call our network sister networks you know what i mean and like mm-hmm. uh, there's just there's a lot to and griffin and i have talked about this on like gm happy hours too like the, the idea is to share good ideas and implement those at your table you know like what works for your table if you hear something or you see something or you experience something that's enjoyable there's nothing wrong with taking that to your table. You know what I mean? And I think that that's a positive thing, net positive in all ways, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, there were like someone joking in, in like our server, like, Oh, you stole this from here. You stole this from here. It's like, if it's a good idea, like it's always on the table, baby. Like I've done an intro about stealing gracefully before. Like we all, we all do. It's like, I'm not the king of evil interludes, right? So you can't, no one else can do a side party. It's not a great right. storytelling device that you <laughs> right. can use in the right. background. Yeah. Like, of course, that's something people are going to use. Like, I would be foolish not to try and intro my characters as well as you guys did in Under the Table for Skull and Shackles, right? right. It's like, it's just, wow, somebody did something phenomenally. We're all friends here. As long as we're not stealing from like, and, and, mm-hmm. Let's be real. Like, oh, we're all, we all love flashbacks or whatever. Like, GCP did those. And before well, GCP, yeah, like, it was a storytelling device. Yeah, in yeah every the history of literature. It's like telling a story works. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, this is how like, you write a story, you know? Like, hey, did you know there's only 20 distinct story structures to steal yeah. from? <laughs> the yeah. only so, thing that doesn't use flashbacks is that weird anime Steve watches where they just start with episode yeah, where, 24. Yeah, Perfect. In media yes. Yes. <laughs> so I think, I think the idea of like. Which is also how we're going to structure Skull and Chapter. Yeah, it's just release episode 50. Yeah. I'm just gonna uh, wait two years and then get them in the right order. Yeah, get them in the right order. Uh, uh, but then you lose the artistic integrity <laughs> of the release order. I'll live. I, I, I think the idea of especially, especially, and I know it was meant as a joke in our server because they know how friendly our shows are with each other. But like the idea of stealing stuff that's good, it's like it's not stealing. We're all podcasting here, and like, well, and as you said, shit like, just works. We're we're all fans of storytelling, which means that we've all like read books before and like watched right. shows before. <laughs> yeah. You know, like nobody is inventing the flashback. Nobody is Matt. inventing a vignette. Nobody is inventing like meaningful interaction between characters. That's just how you tell good stories, you know? It's actually helpful for me, though. Like, when people ask me for recommendations, I can very easily recommend you guys because I'm like, if you like these parts about our show, I know, like, 
they do them and they do them well as well. So like if, if you liked the flashbacks and you liked like this part of storytelling, go listen to APA. If you liked the evil interlude and you like that interlude style of thing, go listen to APA. Like there's there's a dope arc and also goes even deeper into like some of the stuff like about Zonkuthan and all of that. So if you like that, like so it 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 it's less like, oh, they've used a similar idea to us. And it's more like, I can easily recommend you because there's pieces like of my show that if you like, you're going to love this, right. you know? Right. Well, and even if like one of us managed to invent something as ubiquitous as like the flashback, we'd give it away to each other for free. Like we right. actively right. help <laughs> each other out, you know? There's a definitely a difference between oh, I think they did a, a really cool job. Like, I, Adam made some, like, really cool nightmare scenes and signal screams, and, like, if I wanted to play a horror campaign, I might, like, write some, like, really cool, scary nightmares for my characters or whatever. But, like, borrowing that idea is very different from, like, I'm going to create a character for this show that's about to come out called like Tungsten Tim, who's a lizard folk <laughs> who boxes people like that's, that's different. <laughs> you could get Tim. away with that on like STF and friends. Yeah, actually, actually, that'd be kind that'd of be funny. perfect spot to do that. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and talking through all this fun stuff. We got a little bit of wrap up and housekeeping to do before we cut y'all loose here. So, Griff, we have wrapped up our Carrying Crown campaign. People know that by now. What's the release date for Skull and Shackles? That's TBD at this time. But in the meantime, we are dropping episodes of our first installment of Linked Legacy, Carnival of Tears on the main feed. Eventually, the entirety of that is going to drop. That's 11 episodes. So you got plenty of stuff to listen if you have not listened yet. Yeah, if you're worried about a timeline, you could put two and two together and figure out how long Carnival of Tears <laughs> not hard to figure out guys it's really not hard to parse that coming up on the calendar for us we have a drunken escorterly on the 5th of August and then Live Zonus Truth was scheduled for the 12th but we will in fact be doing a bachelor slash bachelorette party for you and Haley that weekend so we're clearly not going to be doing Live Zone of Truth then we're probably going to kick that to the next weekend we will certainly make an official announcement like on the discord and shit but besides that We've talked a little bit about where and when you can listen to all of the cool shows that STF is putting out. And if they're not going to promote it, I will throw some fucking cash their way at patreon.com slash STF network, uh, where you can get even more cool stuff that these guys do. And hey, you know what? You can hear a little bit of Griff and myself. Griff did the Redshift Rally season of STF and Friends, and I was on for Twin Heists. So They've got lots of really cool shit out there. I would listen to it all because I have listened to it all. If you, also, if you really like it, you could hit us for $25 on Patreon and I will fight you. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't fought. It was a good time. In a fictional, in a boxing game that we've invented. Um, I don't not- think that you can steal that idea, Griffin, because if you do, that's like lethal weapons, right? Like you can't, like if you can't get in a fight with people because you can go to jail for it. <laughs> We, sim- we we don't have fight rock over here. We got fight cock. Oh, all right, all right. <laughs> How much you charge for that one? Sixty nine dollars. <laughs> it's in the it's in the bestow burst. No, no, Christ. no, no. I will also say this: if you support these guys, they do put on one of the most fun 
online con Oh, yeah, ever. SDF Con Line. Uh, SDF Con Line, which, you know, if you want to play with me and Steven, not pay us $100 a month, <laughs> you could probably definitely get run through something from one or the two of us because we always participate in that. Mm-hmm. And these guys put a shitload of work into putting that con together and are also running people through a million things and playing a bunch of adventures that weekend. So I don't know. I think that's coming up in 2024, Mm -hmm. guys, but very excited for it when it does happen. Uh, And as we get closer to the date, maybe I'll say what I'll run for it. But your money goes to good things like that, too, if you support us. I actually just bought an adventure. I'm going to run for it uh, yesterday. Ooh. Oh, hell yeah. Well, that's exciting. Well, again, thank you both for coming on this show. It's always a good time having you. Love hanging out with y'all. Love the shows. And I think it's probably about time to wrap it up. So uh, yeah, I guess we'll see you guys in a couple of days for uh, the secret show. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't know anything about that. Don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. If a third about. book was wrapping up wake, anytime wake, soon. Wake. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks for having us, guys. We yeah, always man. love hanging out with y'all. Yep. Yeah, well, we love you too. And Griff, anything you want to say before we get out of here? Uh, finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.